You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. Okay, I'm going to welcome everyone back to their seats. On your way, if you want to open to Luke chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. Luke 11. And if you use one of those hardback black Bibles at the resource table, feel free to grab one. You're on page 869, so Luke 11. Prayer, in many ways, is one of the most natural things that we do as people, and yet, at the same time, it is also one of the most confusing things that we do as people. According to a Pew Research study, three-fourths of adults in America say that they have prayed within the last month. And one report even showed that 30% of atheists admit to praying sometimes. As I said, it's one of the most natural things that we do. But we ask ourselves, why is something so natural also so confusing and difficult? And by a show of hands, who here has ever felt frustrated or confused or that prayer can be difficult in their lives? Yeah, we all have questions about it, and yet we all do it so often. And we're not alone in this. History actually shows that many people have experienced this confusing paradox along with us, something so natural, also being so difficult at times. Flannery O'Connor, for example, one of America's best female authors, was writing in her journals, wrestling with God about prayer, wanting it to be meaningful and warm, she would say, fearing that, quote, the explanations of psychologists would make it turn suddenly cold. And at the end of one of her entries in her journal, she even wrote just in desperation, can anyone teach me how to pray? An untold number of people throughout history have wondered this same question, have felt this desperation along with her, even many of you in the room as you've shared that with me. And so as we begin a new year, we are going to spend several weeks reflecting on this practice of prayer through the teaching of Jesus in Luke 11. And we're going to do our best to extract every bit of wisdom that we can from these 13 verses together. In our passage, Jesus has just finished praying himself, and his disciples ask something very similar to what Flannery O'Connor wrote in her journal. They just ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And that phrase is where we got the title for our series together. Because along with the early disciples, we are going to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn about prayer from the Master. And so, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, I'll begin in verse 1 of chapter 11. The words will appear on the screen beside me as well. I can read and you can follow along. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, 
he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is the word of the Lord. Grab a seat. I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you here as we gather for the gift that it is to us. We ask that you would help us now, that through it we would understand more clearly your heart for prayer, which you want for us in prayer and how you designed it. And so would your spirit open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things found here in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I do premarital counseling, I use a resource that trains couples and assesses them in a few key aspects of marital health. And among those, communication is the first and most foundational. It contributes to all the others in significant ways. And we don't often think about the importance of communication within relationships because it's so basic. It happens so naturally. And even though it is so natural, it is also difficult at times. It can be confusing how to communicate well. Poor communication is one of the reasons that marriages end. Poor communication often leads to strained relationships at work or with friends. And God made us for relationship with him and with one another, and communication is central to those relationships. If I want a healthy relationship with other people, then I need to grow in my communication with them. Regular, intentional, and transparent communication is the primary way that we grow in relationships. In her book, The Fine Art of Small Talk, Deborah Fine referenced a study that shows how intentional conversations— including asking thoughtful questions, significantly reduces the rate at which or the time it takes for people to become friends. So it increases the rate, it reduces the length of time. So if you meet someone and you want them to become a friend of yours and you want to decrease that length of time, then intentional conversations is how you do that. Relationships require communication, period, full stop. There's no way around it. And the quality of that communication will have a direct impact on the quality of that relationship. And God created the world to work this way because communication is central to who God is, to his identity and to his work in the world. Even consider the way that he created the world in Genesis 1. It says that he spoke. God creates through words. His speech and his actions are as one. He spoke, and the world came into being. He spoke, and vegetation formed. He spoke, and the sun and the moon were placed in the sky. He spoke, and humanity was made. At creation, God was having a conversation. And when he made humanity in his image, he invited us into that divine conversation. 
Throughout history, God has made himself known to us primarily through communication. The Bible says that God spoke through prophets, he spoke through the scriptures, and in these final days he has spoken through the coming of Jesus. And here's what I want to help us see today as we open up our series on prayer, is that prayer is simply communication with a personal God who wants relationship with you. And that is why it's so natural to us and why every culture throughout all of history has had some form of prayer, because communication is so central to relationships, and we were made for relationship with God and with one another. However, just like communication in our human relationships is not always easy, it can be confusing and difficult at times, it requires work, the same is true of prayer. It can be confusing at times and difficult. It's okay even now to admit that to ourselves. Prayer is hard at times. And that doesn't mean it's not worth pursuing and working at and growing in. In the same way that we work at improving communication in human relationships, we can also grow in our relationship with God through prayer. And again, that's my primary aim for us today in the sermon. Here's the message of the sermon. I want us to see that one of the primary goals of prayer is intimacy with God through our communication with Him. God wants relationship with you, and the growth of our relationship with God will have a direct correlation to our growth in prayer. And I want to help us see three aspects about our communication with God in prayer. These will form our outline today. The first is that prayer is natural. Second, prayer is difficult. Third, prayer is relational. So first, prayer is natural. This is evident here in the way Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in Luke chapter 11. They saw Jesus' prayer life. Right there in verse 1, he finishes praying. They're watching him. The vibrancy of his relationship with God is evident to them, and they wanted him to show them how to pray. They wanted to learn from him. And I think Jesus really wanted them to learn how to pray as well. He teaches them about prayer often throughout the Gospels. Sometimes he teaches them through parables, like verses 5 through 13 of our passage, Sometimes he teaches them just how to pray and gives them a model, like in verses 2 through 4 of our passage, something that we call the Lord's Prayer often. Jesus taught a very similar prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but they're not the exact same, at least the way that they're recorded. And some scholars think that Matthew and Luke recorded the same teaching, but just in different ways. However, I'm persuaded that Jesus actually taught the prayer more than once in his ministry, which shouldn't surprise us because how many of us need to learn something more than one time in order to get it? It seems likely to me that Jesus taught the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in the middle of a public teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and then he does it here in chapter 11 of Luke in a more personal setting with his disciples in response to one of them asking him how to pray. Now, maybe that disciple wasn't at the Sermon on the Mount and didn't get to hear that teaching then, or maybe he just needed to hear it more than once. But what is clear from the Gospels is that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn how to pray, and he was patient to teach them. And the first word that he uses here in his prayer is one of the most natural words in the human language, Father. Now, Father is a relatively formal title for us today. We tend to use a more informal use of the word like dad. And there's good reason to believe that Jesus actually taught his disciples to use the less formal Aramaic word for father, which is Abba. We see many of his apostles then use that word in their own teachings later on. 
And this would have been a shift for the Jewish people because they had been taught to use a more formal title for God in Aramaic, Abinu. This was a a more formal word for dad or, or father. This is how they were taught to pray in some of their prayers. Now, as I said, father or dad is one of the most natural words in the human language. For some kids, it's the first word that they actually learn to say. And the reason that the word is so natural is because our relationship with our dads is so natural. And at least it's supposed to be, right? We know that too many fathers are absent or abusive, but our heavenly father is always present and he moves toward us with love and compassion. And I want you to hear this today. God wants relationship with you. He does not just want your obedience. He doesn't just primarily give you a religious task in prayer that we need to complete. He wants you to pray because he wants relationship with you, and that will require communication. Fundamentally, that is what prayer is, communication with God for the sake of relationship. It is as natural as talking with our parents. So Jesus taught us to begin our prayer with the word Abba, Father. I heard a story about a Union soldier who's, or who fought in the Civil War, and his father and his brother both died in the fighting, and so he needed to get home to help his sister and his elderly mother with their spring planting. And so he went to the White House right away, Washington, D.C., to go and petition the president for an exemption so he could go home. As he got to the front steps of the White House, a young official was there and stopped him and said, no, no, the president is far too busy for people like you. Just go back to fighting. Do your job. And so this young man left there and went and sat on a park bench nearby, and he was sad, of course, devastated at what he heard. And a small boy walked up to him and said, why are you so sad? And this young soldier explained the situation, and so the young boy said, come with me. I think I can help. And so he led this young soldier around, back to the White House, through a back door, past the guards and past some of the military officials, past some of the um, sol- or past some of the le- leaders for the military, and he gets to the door of the president's office. He doesn't even knock on the door. The boy just walks in. And there's President Lincoln talking about military plans with the Secretary of State, and Lincoln looks up, and he says, oh, hi, Tad. What can I do for you? And this little boy says, Dad, this man needs your help. He needs to talk to you. And in that moment, this soldier was given access to the president through the son. If there's anyone who can barge into the president's office or bother the king in the middle of the night, it is his son. And through Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters. We also have access to the father. Jesus did not keep God the Father to himself, but he's invited us to call him Father as well. Prayer is as natural as talking with our Father, because that is what we're doing with God in prayer, communicating with our Heavenly Father. And he welcomes us into relationship. He wants relationship with you. Now, as natural as it is to pray, prayer is also difficult. And so we come to the second aspect of prayer today. Now, I don't want to ignore the confusion and the challenge that prayer presents for us. I don't want you to feel alone in the challenge or to feel like you need to hide it. Here at River City Church, you can admit when things are hard, including things like prayer. When we are honest about this challenge, God will honor our struggle and our desire to know Him through prayer. 
In many ways, the disciples' request in verse 1 is an expression of their own challenge and their own confusion in this. If the disciples were experts in prayer, if they knew what they were doing and felt clear and competent in prayer, then they would not have asked for help. But here they are with Jesus, they're seeing his life of prayer, and they want to know, Jesus, how do you pray? Teach us to pray. So let's all have the, the humility to admit that prayer can be hard, and together let's learn from Jesus over the next several weeks. In his book on prayer, Timothy Keller wrote, I can think of nothing great that is also easy. Prayer must be then one of the hardest things in the world. To admit that prayer is very hard, however, can be encouraging. If you struggle greatly in this, you are not alone. He then goes on to argue that when we start to work at prayer, it is initially maybe even more difficult. Because he said when we pray, it reveals our spiritual emptiness. And this can be a really important lesson. Because when we begin to feel our loneliness and our hunger for God, even though it may be disorienting, it also will lead us to crave relationship with Him more. Prayer can eventually become a powerful experience. However, Keller says, in the beginning, the feeling of poverty and absence usually dominates. But the best guides for this phase urge us not to turn back, but rather to endure and pray in a disciplined way. Until, as Pike, Packer and Nystrom say, we get through duty to delight. Getting through duty to delight is not always easy, but the wisdom of those who have pressed on in prayer all say that the work is worth it. And this should not be a surprise to us that it does require some work. If you want good human relationships, it will require work. You'll have to learn how to listen, how to communicate. You'll need to spend significant amounts of time together, That will include some awkward moments, some painful moments, and many, many unimpressive and forgettable moments. But it is through that shared experience, through hard work and growth in communication, that we get through to intimacy in relationship. We should not be surprised that our relationship with God functions in a similar way to our human relationships. In order to get on the other side of duty to delight with God, it will require some work and effort. But the goal is always relationship. That's what we're after. We do not pray to be impressive or to satisfy some divine standard. We pray so that we can know God. And that is why Jesus begins his prayer with Father, a personal name for God. It points to this primary goal of prayer, which is relationship. And that is what God has been after since he made humans in the garden. After Adam and Eve sinned, God came to be with them, to walk with them in the garden as he would do, and they hid from God. And so God initiated, calling out, where are you? Unfortunately, we are prone to give up when it gets hard. We're prone to hide like Adam and Eve do from God. We hide due to our sin. We run away fearing that he doesn't want relationship with us anymore, or we run away because it feels awkward But God wants relationship, and he will keep pursuing. He will be there ready to embrace you again when you return. I recently heard a testimony of a young man who grew up in a kind and loving home. He was not an outwardly rebellious kid. He says that he was too smart to do drugs or openly rebel. But he did learn how to steal money from his parents without getting caught. 
And he got away with it for quite a while until one night he was on his way home from a movie and his parents confronted him when he got home. And he was so embarrassed and so afraid that he ran to his room, locked himself inside, piled up all the bed and all the things in the room to keep him inside. And he just sat across the room crying inside. He hated himself, he said. He felt like garbage. And soon after this, his dad came up to the door and started knocking on the door. There was no answer. His dad waited for a little while. Eventually, his dad just said through the door, he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go, but I need you to know that your mother and I love you. We're just confused. We don't understand. And then the dad ended by saying, I'd like it if you'd open the door right now, because what I really want to do is give you a hug. This young man said that he will never forget that experience. It has shaped the way that he sees his heavenly father. And I think he's right. This is a beautiful and redemptive picture of our heavenly father's love for us. In response to our sin and shame, we so often want to run away and hide. In response to the difficulty and the confusion that we have with prayer, we so often want to give up. But God is knocking at the door, saying that he wants relationship. It will not always be easy, but it will be worth it. Prayer can be difficult, but it is an invitation into relationship with God, and he desperately wants you to continue at the work of prayer. The third aspect of prayer that we'll look at today is that prayer is relational. Jesus begins this model of prayer with this word, Father, because prayer is about relationship with God. And then he comes back to this picture of a father who reinforces it with the story he tells right at the end in verses 11 through 13. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus is drawing a fairly simple parallel between our earthly fathers and our heavenly one, and he just merely points out that no good father is going to give their kids serpents and scorpions when they ask for simple provisions like fish and eggs. Fathers and mothers have a deep and inherent love for their kids, and they want to do everything they can to care for them in the best ways that they are able. And if we, who are not good in comparison with God, know how to give good gifts, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give what we need, including the Holy Spirit? Jesus here is reinforcing this relational dynamic of prayer by reintroducing the idea of Father at the end of this teaching on prayer. Through prayer, we're invited into relationship, and we experience the relational depth of our triune God. Prayer is relational because God is relational. And God's internal relationship with himself is seen here in our passage. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, is telling us to pray to the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and the Father will gladly give us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God is already functioning in relational unity, in himself, in the Trinity. So when we pray, we are being welcomed into that relationship. It is as if God is having a perfect and glorious conversation with himself right now. And in prayer, we are being welcomed into that conversation. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 4, verse 6, Because you are sons, 
God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here again, we see the relationship of God within the Trinity. This informs our understanding of prayer and how we relate to God. We are now sons and daughters because of the sacrifice of God's Son. And as a result, we've been adopted into the family of God. And now the Spirit of the Son is in our hearts, leading us to cry, Abba, Father. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are welcomed into a perfect family, Father, Son, and Spirit. Prayer is one of the ways we get to participate in that family. And until we see that we've been welcomed into that family through Jesus, we will want to make prayer into something it was never meant to be. Because of our sin and our shame, we know that we have been left out of this divine conversation. Like Adam, we hide, and we fear that we will never be welcomed into that conversation again. And throughout throughout the history of the world, you can see how people have tried to use prayer as a tool to try and prove to God that they're worthy to be welcomed back into relationship. But prayer doesn't work like that. And when prayer becomes a spiritual obligation or a religious ritual— to try and make us worthy of relationship with God, then that is the type of prayer as duty that will never turn into delight, and it will never make us worthy. That is not the goal of prayer. We do not pray to make us worthy. We pray because we have been found worthy in Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.18 that through him, the him there is Jesus, we both, both are Jews and Greeks, so through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus that we have access to the Father in prayer. If we miss the fact that prayer is a welcome invitation offered through Jesus, then we'll turn prayer into something that it was never meant to be. So here in Luke, in our passage, Jesus is telling us to ask God the Father to give us the Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul is saying that through Jesus, we have access to the Father in the Spirit. And then in Galatians, Paul is saying that the spirit the Father has given us is the same spirit that will help us cry, Abba, Father. And we see how the three persons of the Trinity work together even in our prayers. God existed in perfect Trinitarian relationship before the creation, and he will for all of eternity, as he has throughout all of history. Because of sin, we have been cut off from that relationship. But now through Jesus, we've been welcomed back. And prayer is one of the ways we get to participate. Jesus is the Son who experienced the pain of the Father's wrath towards sin so that we could be welcomed into the family. And Jesus is not a jealous brother who gets angry that we've been welcomed in. He's not like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15 who gets angry that the Father welcomes the rebellious son back home by slaughtering a flat-fattened calf and having a party Jesus is the elder brother who was willing to be sacrificed himself, crushed on our behalf, so that we could be welcomed back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And right now, God is like the Father in the parable of that prodigal son, arms open, welcoming us back into relationship. That is what God is after in redemption that he has offered through his Son. God wants relationship with us. He wants our worship and our affection and our praise. And we enter into that relationship through prayer. Speech comes very naturally to us as humans. 
And we might think that somehow we learn to talk on our own because nobody teaches us. We don't go through formal training in learning how to talk. But in reality, we do not initiate how to talk. We don't, we don't learn to talk on our own. We do it because our parents first talked to us. We started to hear language patterns in the womb. We heard thousands of sentences before we've uttered a single word. So when a child says their first word, they are not initiating a conversation. They're simply joining a conversation their parents have been having for years. And prayer is like that. We're not initiating conversation with God. We're responding to His initiative. He has made it possible for us to join in because of Jesus. And through Him, God has given us His Spirit so we can cry, Abba, Father. And in prayer, we are joining a conversation that God has been having throughout all of history, a conversation He wants us to have with Him. If prayer for you became less about asking for things or proving yourself worthy, if it was primarily about relationship with God, it might just change the way that you pray. And throughout our series on prayer, we're going to be challenged with the confusion and the difficulty that it is to pray at times. And when that happens... My encouragement to you is not to run away. Don't pull back. Press in. Because anything worth having will take some work. And relationship with God is infinitely worthy of our most sincere efforts to know Him through the practice of prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.